Job 23 tonight. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Then Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead with, uh, plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him, so should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, please bless your word, Lord. I stand in the infirmity of the flesh, not able to preach, not able to, Lord, do anything with unction and power, except you give me the unction and give me the power. Do in hearts that which would bring you the most glory. Help us to be obedient to your word, Lord. If there's one amongst us that's lost, you know that, Lord. I pray You'd convict them and show them their need of You. But bless everything that takes place tonight, and we'll be sure to give You the praise and honor and glory for it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Job 23 fascinates me. You may say, Preacher, what's so fascinating about it? The emphasis of Job 23 is a thing that I think is unique and uh, very under-preached and under-emphasized. Most of us are familiar with the story of Job. We know of the righteous man whom calamity fell upon. And if we were to give a theme or a summary of the book of Job, an idea that runs through the book of Job, it would be this, why do the godly suffer? Can I tell you that suffering is a part of life? Every day that we live, there's difficulty and trial. A man that is born is of a few days and full of trouble, the Bible says. There's no question that difficulty is going to be a part of life. But sometimes it's hard to reckon why it is that bad things happen to good people. And certainly Job would have been one of those that would have asked these questions. But it's funny that as you read the book of Job, you don't find him lamenting the loss of his children very much. It seems as though that's something Job can bear. And as you read through the book of Job, you don't find Job talking much about his health and the fact that he was not sound in body, although I'm sure that plagued uh, Job's mind a lot. And you read through and you don't find Job lamenting the loss of his riches and focusing on the temporal losses that he's faced. But if you read through the book of Job, you'll find that there's one theme that seems to be consistent over and over again. What was the most difficult thing about Job's trial? And I believe we have the synopsis of it here in uh, chapter 23. Look again at verse number 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find Him. He's speaking of the Lord. That I might come even to His seat. I would order my cause before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. Notice this. I would know the words which He would answer me and understand what He would say unto me. Look at verse number 8. Job says, Behold, I go forward. 
but He is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive Him. On the left hand, where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. He hideth Himself on the right hand, that I cannot see Him. If you study the book of Job, you'll find the most difficult element of Job's trial was not the loss of his health. It was not the loss of his children. It was not the loss of his riches. It was not the loss of the support of his wife. You'll find as you study the life of Job and the trials that he endured, that the most difficult thing about his trial was the darkness that he was in in the midst of it. You see, Job's greatest difficulty was not that he was in trouble. Job's greatest difficulty was not knowing why he was in trouble. It wasn't that he was suffering. It was not knowing why he was suffering. I don't believe I'm being presumptuous to say that every child of God, when they come on hard times, has a tendency to cry out to the throne room of God and say, Why me, Lord? Why me? Why do I suffer these things? Why do I face these things? Lord, it seems as though I try to serve You, and I come upon difficult times and trials. We find this is the shared experience of every believer that serves the Almighty God. But still, it is the greatest difficulty in our trials in life. I could ask, and I won't uh, for privacy's sake, but I could certainly ask how many in this room are going through trials and many would raise their hands. I could ask how many feel like they're suffering in some way or another and many would raise their hands. And probably the most difficult thing for you about it is that you just don't understand it. Can I say that trials are easier to bear when we understand them? Trials are easier to carry with us when we know why we're going through what we're going through. But let me also say that in the Christian experience, in the Christian life, there's going to be times when you won't understand, when you won't see what God is doing, when you won't see the direction God is taking. And you have to cling to what Job did when he said, but he knoweth the way that I take. What Job says is, I don't know very much, but I I believe that God knows more than I know about the situation. And I believe that if nothing else, it can make the load a little lighter for us to understand why we're going through what we're going through. We won't understand everything about it, but to understand something about it. And in the midst of the darkness, if I could tonight, I want to give you just a few verses that I hope will give you a little light in the midst of the darkness. If you're suffering and going through trials, can I tell you there is purpose, there is reason. God does nothing for no reason. God is a God of reason. Now that reason is not always something we can understand. That reason is not always something that's plain to us. But God is always a God of reason. There's reason to everything that He does. I didn't say He's a God of logic, but He's a God of reason. There's purpose behind it. And I've, I've uh, assembled together a few verses, and I want to give you three reasons, and I'm going to try to be short tonight. Three reasons that I believe the Christian suffers. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18, for our light affliction. Now notice that word light. And that word light only makes sense in the context of what's about to be said. You see, when Paul was writing this, and when God inspired Paul to write these words, that word light is still a universal word. The Word of God is a universal thing. It applies to you. It applies to me. So how could God say our light affliction? Well, light is a relative word. I went by today and picked up a toilet for the nursery in here. And uh, I, I, I can pick at him. He ain't in here. But I have Parker with me. He said, uh, he said I'll carry that toilet for you. I said, okay. He said, I, 
He said, I'll carry it. I'm strong enough. He said, you don't know how strong I am. I said, I believe you, buddy. I believe you. And so we got in there and we got that toilet and, uh, you know, it, it was there on the shelf and he ran up to it and, buddy, he gave all of his force and he grabbed that box and he just pulled and that thing just sat there. And he looked at me and he said, I'm going to let you carry that toilet. <laughs> and I, I'm not a big fella by any means. I'm not a strong guy, but I, I, I reached up and I grabbed the toilet and I pulled it off the shelf and I put it in the, the buggy. He said, whoa. <laughs> Well, see, that to me was, was a little bit lighter than it was to him. To him, that was unmovable. To me, uh, it was heavy, but it was a little lighter than it was to him. Now, some of you fellows around here, you could pick it up with just your pinky finger, I know. It'd be a lot lighter to you than it was to me. You see, light is a relative word, but how can it be relative and be universal at the same time? How can my light affliction be light and your light affliction be light when your affliction is heavier than my affliction? We're going to see. The Bible says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal, notice this word, weight of glory. Let me tell you why I know that your affliction is light, no matter how heavy it is. Because it's lighter than the weight of glory that is working for you. It's lighter than the weight of glory that is going to be on your behalf. It says, An eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That tells me that every affliction that I go through is working for me a weight of glory. But what does that mean? I want to say first off that I believe that the Christian suffers to bring him closer to the Savior. You know that this world, the natural man, does everything he can to get as far away from God as he possibly can. He doesn't understand the things of God. That's what the Bible says, that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man does not understand suffering in any way, shape, fashion, and form because his flesh is persecuted. The natural man is not willing to sacrifice in any uh, way, shape, fashion, or form because the Bible says no man ever yet hated his own flesh. The natural man does not understand suffering and never will. And so the natural man must be persecuted for the spiritual man to thrive. If we're going to get closer to God, it's going to mean going through some suffering. I believe there's three ways it helps us, and I'm going to try to break it down real simple. I believe that suffering brings about a closer fellowship with the Savior. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul writing says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. I believe that fellowship of His sufferings is a twofold thing. I believe in a doctrinal sense it's speaking of the fact that because Christ has suffered, He's able also to succor them that are suffering as a high priest. But I believe it tells me this too. When we suffer, we understand a little bit more about the Savior. Let me tell you something. If you've never had anyone turn their back on you before, you don't know what it was like for the Son of God. If you've never had anybody curse your name, you don't know what it was like for the Son of God. If you've never had your own familiar friend lift up his heel against you, you don't know what it was like for the Son of God. If you've never looked upon those that you love as they went and made wrong decisions and it broke your heart in two, you don't know what it's like for the Son of God. If you've never had to have a weight upon you that was greater than you could possibly bear, you don't know what it's like to be the Son of God and you don't know what He went through. But as we suffer these things, we begin to understand a little better what Calvary meant. Let me tell you something. When somebody turns your back, uh, their back on you, you know there's that feeling of hatred that wants to well up inside of you. When somebody hurts you, you just think about the fact of what we did to Christ and how He loved us. 
You see, the truth of the matter is, if we was all as good as we think we are, we wouldn't need a Calvary. But seeing ourselves as God sees us, it magnifies the love of God in our hearts and minds. We understand who and what we are, and then we understand how much God loves us. We see in the Word of God that Christ loved those that were unlovable. He cared for those that no one would care for. He found worth in those that were worth nothing. And until you come to a place that you've suffered and dealt with those things, it's a little hard for you to understand. I've heard many parents say this before, and I try not to trespass upon that which I have no experience with. I'm not a parent. I'm a pastor. That's a little similar, but I'm not a parent, and I don't know what that's like. But I've heard many people say, you'll appreciate Calvary more when you hold your own child. You understand the suffering and sacrifice that God put upon our behalf. I believe there's something to be said for the fellowship of His sufferings. You find in the Word of God, look at the life of Paul in the prison cell. He sang the praises of God. As he was shipwrecked, he heard the voice of the angel of God. As he was left for dead, stoned outside of the walls of Lystra, it was there that he was caught up into the third heaven and beheld unspeakable things. The truth is, when we suffer, we know more of who and what God is. Can I say that it brings us closer to the Lord because of the uh, fellowship that we have with Him, but because of the faith that it requires us to have. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 1, 6-7, "...wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire..." What's the fire? It's the suffering. It's the affliction though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The fact is, when we go through sufferings and difficulties, it forces us to put our faith in the Savior as believers. It causes us to look to the Lord for His help and His strength. Let me just ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever been at the end of your rope and you found out the Lord was there the whole time? You ever been at a place where you didn't know what to do and you had to cry out to the Lord? I'm not talking about you did. I'm talking about you had to. When we run short on options, we find the Lord's our sufficiency. And most of us are so comfortable. And I'm not saying comfort's a bad thing. I'm not saying convenience. And I'm not saying, I mean, hey, it's, it's nice that we come into a warm church house. It's nice that we have gas in our cars. It's nice that we have food in our refrigerator. But let me just tell you, when you go through certain types of suffering, you come to a place where you have to cry out and say, Lord, if Thou hadst not been my portion. Lord, You've got to intervene. Lord, You've got to do something in my life. And it forces us to have faith. There's a man named George Mueller, lived in Bristol, England. He was a German man, but he had come to England and he started orphanages. And many of you may have read his biography, the little short that they've written about his life. And Mr. Mueller ran orphanages for over 2,000 kids in England and did it all by faith. There was never any promised pledge or promised support for George Mueller. Now, people would give love offerings, but there was never anybody that said every month we'll pledge such and such. But he operated by faith. One day, uh, the pantries were empty. One day, the milk bottle was empty. There was nothing for the kids. Mr. Mueller, his workers came to him and said, Mr. Mueller, what do we do? He said, gather the kids in the dining hall. They gathered all these hundreds, maybe thousands of orphans into this dining hall. Mr. Mueller had them all sit down. They all sat down. They had an empty bowl in front of them. Mr. Mueller said, now let's thank the Lord for our food. And I'm sure everybody's looking around like, this guy's nuts. (laughs) 
Mr. Mueller began to pray. He never got to finish that prayer before there was a knock on the door. He got up and he went to the door. And it turns out that one of the community milk wagons, wagon wheels had come off just outside the door. And that milk wasn't going to keep to the next morning by the time that they could uh, take and fix that wagon. And so he said, Mr. Mueller, do you need this entire wagon load of milk? He said, why, yeah, I guess we do need it. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we do. What happened? George Mueller was put in a place where he had to depend on God. Now, we ought not have to be put in a place where we have to depend on God to depend on Him. But let me tell you, I just know my own rotten, stinking flesh that sometimes I've got to be put in dire straits before I'll call on the Lord like I ought to. That's just the truth of the matter. Sometimes it takes the fire. But let me notice something else about that verse we just read. It says, Uh, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. Notice this, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I believe we get closer to the Lord when we suffer, because uh, when we do, we have fellowship with Him, we have faith in Him, but I believe it breeds in us a fondness for His second coming. I've been with a lot of people who've had loved ones that have passed on. And it's, you know, it's hard to know what to say. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, like I said, I try not to say things to people that I've not been through. I try not to look at somebody that I don't know what they've been through and tell them I do know what they've been through. It just sounds hollow. And it upsets people and it upset me for someone to say that. And sometimes you grasp for the words to say. And one thing I always try to tell them is this. It just makes heaven that much sweeter than it was before. Let me tell you something. Why would our Lord want us to get too comfortable in this world? It's not our home. It's not where our citizenship is. Now, some of you, if you were to take a trip over uh, to Europe or maybe to South America, you might enjoy yourself. You might have fun. You might learn some things while you're there. But chances are you'd be uncomfortable the whole time. You know why? That's not where your citizenship is. That's not your home. You might enjoy yourself, but you're never going to feel at home anywhere but home. Can I tell you that in this world, we're never going to feel at home anywhere but when we're home. When we suffer, it just reminds us it reminds us that this world isn't the end of things. It causes us to long more and more and more for the Lord to come. You ever notice how as people get older, they get more excited about the Lord's return? Do you know why that is? Because there's less people with them on this side than there are on the other side. There's less road in front of them than there is behind them. And they're realizing how sweet heaven truly is. When we suffer and go through these afflictions, what did Job say? He cried out the great climax of his faith, I guess, in the middle of the book of Job. He said, I know that my Redeemer liveth. What did he say? And that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. He started looking forward to the Lord's coming. I believe it brings us closer to Christ. I believe there's a second reason why we suffer. I believe it's so we can comfort others. You know, the truth is, sometimes when we go through difficult times, it helps us to help others that are going through difficult times. And I believe it does it in two ways. For one thing, I believe that it makes us compassionate. I've said before that compassion is being emotionally inconvenienced for the sake of another. I believe that's a fairly adequate definition. But if I could put it in more colloquial and plain terms, let me just say that a compassionate person sees things that other people don't see. We read in the Gospels, and time and time again, the word compassion is connected with the looking and the eyes of the Savior. Look it up when you get home. You'll find time and time again, the Gospels say that when the Lord looked upon them, He had compassion on them. When He saw them, He had compassion on them. And compassion is forever connected with the eyes. And only those that are compassionate will see those that are suffering. We find it in the story of the Good Samaritan. 
This man was lying uh, in the ditch ready to die. And the priest walked by and the Levite walked by. They didn't even turn aside. You know what happened? They didn't have compassion. They had never been laying in the ditch before. They passed by and they didn't even notice him. Let me tell you how you know truly compassionate people. They're sensitive to the suffering of others. And I'm not saying that they uh, that people that are not compassionate are cold-hearted. I mean, I've met people that would do anything in the world for you if it dawned on them to do it. <laughs> but a truly compassionate person looks for suffering in the lives of others. A truly compassionate person can see someone suffering where the Levite, where the priest will just walk on by without ever even noticing. Listen to what the Bible tells us uh, in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 5. And I know this is talking about the high priest, and I know that it, uh, by inference, is also talking about our Lord. But it says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. The Bible tells us that part of the reason that there was no divine priesthood in the Old Testament, in other words, it was a human priesthood, it was men that were ordained into the priesthood and not angels and not the Lord Himself in that uh, priesthood that did not continue. But part of the reason for that was so they could have compassion because they were compassed with infirmity. Let me tell you something. You're not going to be able to see people hurting until you've hurt yourself. That's just the truth. You're not going to know what to look for until you get to the place where you've been there. It's been said before, and I believe this is true, that when we take it upon our hearts to minister to someone, the first thing we should do is look for a scar on ourselves where we see a wound on them. A place where we've hurt that we might be able to help them. I believe it not only makes us compassionate, it causes us to see the hurting in others, but it gives us the capacity or the comforting ability to work in their lives. Listen to what Paul wrote in the Word of God in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-6. He says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, I like this, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations. Now notice this that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What Paul says is God comforts us in our tribulations that we might be able to comfort others in their tribulations. It says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or our ability to console others also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. What is Paul saying? He's saying the reason we go through what we go through is because one day you're going to go through what we go through. We suffer these things, so we're prepared when you suffer these things. You know, it's not uncommon people dealing with tragic situations that they have support groups. And I'm sure those in the room that have battled with cancer and have had it before, I'm sure one of the first things that whenever uh, the doctor started talking to you about cancer and what it was going to be like going on that journey and on that difficult road, they probably said, now there's some people we can get you in touch with and some groups that can help you, uh, full of people that have been through this before and they've had cancer and they know what it's like. You know, even the lost world knows that there's something 
about shared misery that bonds people. And it's no surprise that in the Word of God, this same thought is reiterated over and over and over again. Read what the Bible says about our high priest. The Bible says we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, was but, not, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What does the Bible say in result to it? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why can we come boldly? Because we know He's been through it. We know He's suffered. We know He knows what it's like. We see it there in the book of Job. What does He say? He says, if I was to come before God, uh, what would He do? Would He judge me? Would He argue with me? Would He put me in my place? Job says, no, but He would put strength into me. You know why that is? God knows what you're going through. And the best people in the world to help other people through what they're going through is people that have been through it themselves. It may be that the reason you have a scar is there's somebody coming up that's going to have a wound that's in the same place. Somebody else that is going through what you've been through. You know, the sad truth is many times as Christians, we don't take those opportunities. We ought to be mindful in our lives when we see people suffering to take someone to the side and say, you know, I know what you're going through. These other people may not, but I've been there and I know what it's like. That's your ministry. That's what God's called you to do. Don't let your sufferings and afflictions be wasted on apathy and do-nothingness. Take the opportunities that God gives you because part of the reason you suffer is that you might be able to comfort others. I want to give you a final thing. I'm going to hush. I want to say we suffer so that we'll be closer to the Savior. We suffer so that we can comfort others. But I believe that we suffer to make us consecrated in our walk. Now, I don't by any means subscribe to the notions of monks that take vows of silence and mutilate themselves and hurt themselves to try to attain God's favor. I don't believe that's scriptural. I don't believe that we have to persecute ourselves to attain merit with God. I believe all of our merit is due to the finished work of Christ on Calvary. But I do believe this, that persecution and suffering does have a purging and purifying effect in the life of the believer. I believe it changes us. And anybody that doesn't believe it changes you hasn't been through it before. I believe it changes us in three ways. I believe suffering humbles us, don't you? I believe that Job was a thoroughly humbled man by the end of his ordeal. We find it in the book of Job. If you were to read, I believe it's chapter number 31, Job goes through a list of all the good things about himself. <laughs> and he goes through, and you'll find time and time again, I think 20-something times, the phrase, if I, is found in the 31st chapter of Job. And Job talks about if I've offended anyone, if I've done wrong, if I've done this, if I've done that, if I've done this, then I would understand God's judgment. What's Job saying? Job's saying, I've done nothing to deserve this. You come to the end of the book of Job, and you'll find that Job's comments get eerily quiet. <laughs> the Lord shows up on the scene and begins to go down the list, showing Job that he's not God and showing Job that, he, that God is God. Before you know it, Job says, I won't answer him. He gets quiet. What's happened? Job has been humbled. Job has come to understand that there's no trial that could come his way that is harsher and more violent than the eternity in hell that he truly deserves. Let me tell you something. In our lives, if the Lord was to save us from our sins and wash us clean in the blood of the Lamb, and if every day after that was to be darkness and destruction, we've still gotten more than what we deserve. 
And anybody that cries out and says, Lord, I don't deserve this. You're right. You don't deserve whatever you're going through. You deserve hell, just like I do. Sometimes trials and suffering reminds us that we're human. Reminds us that it's God that's God and not we of ourselves. We find that this was said about Paul. Paul's greatest affliction, we suppose, is the thorn in his flesh. We do not know what the thorn in the flesh was. God, I believe, is providentially silent upon that matter. But we do know the reason for Paul's sufferings. 2 Corinthians 12:7, Paul says, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me." And he says it again, "...lest I should be exalted above measure." He says it twice in the same verse. Paul says, "...I don't understand much about my suffering, but I do know this, if it's not doing anything else, it is keeping me humble." It's reminding me that I need God more than He needs me. It's reminding me that I don't deserve anything but hell. It's reminding me of how good God is to me. I believe that it humbles us. I believe it makes us holy as well. Now again, I'm not talking about earning merit uh, in God's eyes through our suffering. That's not what I'm saying. But listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 12:11. Now this is talking about chastening, I know. But with a sovereign God, I think many times our sufferings, even if they're not chastening for things that we've done wrong, they are from God's providential hand. Now listen to what the Bible says. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward... <laughs> that word afterward's important. Can I just pause and say that word afterward is important? We need to be patient in our trials. We don't see the purpose in it during the trials. Job didn't either. Job didn't see the purpose of it until after the trials. But God tells us that afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I want to give you a bit of personal experience. I can't tell you how many people that I've known that have come back to God in the midst of trials. I can't tell you how many people, and I'm thinking of one person in particular, they had been out of work for many, many, many moons. And during that time, they had gotten back closer to the Lord. And they were faithful in church and they were serving the Lord and ministering to the best of their ability. And God blessed them with a job. And anybody that's got a job in this economy, it sure is because God's blessed you with it. There ain't no question. And it wasn't two months before that person was just teetotally out of church in every way, shape, fashion, and form. Never been back. What happened? There's such things called fair-weather Christians and foul-weather Christians. There are some people that everything has to be going great before they're willing to serve God. But there's a lot, too, that everything, the bottom has to be falling out before they'll serve God. Sometimes God has to get our attention. Sometimes He has to ring our bell and make us aware of our need of Him. But let me tell you, suffering many times causes us to walk a straighter line and to walk closer to the Lord. And I believe it's good for every person that deals with suffering and deals with trials. Always be looking for a way you can grow closer to God in the midst of it. It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You know, when you lose someone you love, sometimes your priorities get readjusted, don't they? Sometimes when you get laid up in a sick bed, you can't do for yourself, your priorities get readjusted. And you just remember how important God is in your life. Suffering can have an effect and cause us to be holier. I want to give you one final thing. I believe that it makes us humble. I believe it makes us holy. But I believe in the right context that suffering makes us happy. It's one of the great paradoxes of the Word of God. 
But listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 and 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His joy, glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now notice this. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Happy are ye. For the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. Why would suffering make me happy, preacher? There was one thing above all, one thing above all, that Jonah knew while he was in the belly of that whale. He knew that the Lord still cared about him. He knew the Lord hadn't given up on him. He knew the Lord was still working in his life. A lot of other things Jonah may have not known, but in that whale's belly, he knew that God still cared what happened to that wayward prophet. One thing that Daniel knew in the lion's den, he knew that God was still working in his life. He knew that God was using him for a mighty purpose. One thing that those three Hebrew men knew when they were in that fiery furnace, they knew that the Lord was in there with them. Let me tell you something. When you're going through suffering and trials, you can rejoice and be happy. Not because it's not as bad as people say it is. Not because, well, you're going to come out of it unscathed and there won't be any scars or bad memories. No, that's not why you can rejoice in the midst of sufferings. You can rejoice in the midst of sufferings if you're suffering for Christ's namesake, mind you. I'm not talking about if you've made your bed and your line in it. I'm talking about if you're suffering for doing good and doing righteously, you can rejoice in it in this, that you're in good company. Our Lord suffered for the cause of God. Our Lord suffered because He was different than this world. Our Lord suffered because He preached grace and love as opposed to law and judgment. And because of that, he was persecuted. Know what he said? He said, the world hates me. And I know I'm paraphrasing, but you just stick with me. He said, the Lord hates me, and you know what? It's going to hate you too. It doesn't really hate you. It hates me. But if I'm shining through your life, it's going to cause the world to hate you. God doesn't give trials to those that He doesn't care about. The reason that God allowed in Job's life what He allowed in His life was because God loved Job. It wasn't because God hated Job because He cared about him enough to not leave him alone. It's because He cared about him enough to see him bring forth and come forth as gold. I believe that our sufferings have purpose, even when we can't see them. Even when it doesn't make sense. And I hope that tonight, if I've done nothing else in the midst of the darkness, in the dark hour of your trial, I hope that the Word of God has given you a little light in this. The Lord has a plan and purpose in every bit of it.